those choruses, right, where we can repeat some of those things, a simple line that God is good and, and how we can repeat that and, and, and allow it to be embedded into our hearts, right? Sometimes we just need to repeat it for it to become true for us, that those proclamations about who God is and who God is for us to be true. But as we mentioned earlier in the in this service, we are in our fourth week of our sermon series of letting go and going deeper, right? Growing through spiritual disciplines. And if you didn't know, we're in the season of Lent. It's, it's several weeks leading up to Easter. Um, and it's often a time in, in the life of the church where we intentionally inventory our time and we intentionally inventory our time with God. What's our relationship with God look like? How can we be more intentional with that relationship? Can we be more committed? Is there more ways that we can be connected with the heart of God? And and so we, we begin to ask ourselves, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? And that's what the heart of spiritual disciplines are, is that we're sort of covering sort of a a smorgasbord, if you will, of of different ways, different disciplines that help us connect to God's heart, that we can be intentional in those areas of our lives. And so in this season of Lent, this is why we, we create space in our room. This is why we let go. We, we try to reprioritize and make sure that God uh, is the most important things. And, and through life happening, right, different things in our lives, those priorities can shift. And so what do we have to get up? What do we have to maybe let go of in order to make God that priority? And, and the way that we can cultivate that is through spiritual disciplines. And if you've been with us uh, over the, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've covered, like I said, a, a few here and there. And so far, we've been able to cover uh, spiritual disciplines like solitude. We've been able to, to talk about service and, and about worship last week. And, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of guidance. And when we have talked about all these spiritual disciplines, many of them have a lot to do with our posture right? How do we position ourselves in order to yield to our desires and instead learn more and cultivate the, the desires of God, right? It's, it's, it has a lot to do with our posture. So when we think about solitude, right, we're yielding to the busyness of our life, right? There's always something to be done. There's always the next thing, and, and that sometimes creates a lot of anxiety for a lot of us, right? So the spiritual discipline of solitude puts us in this posture where we resist that motivation and we instead put ourselves in a position to open ourselves to hearing from God. And it's much more individualistic in nature, right? To how can I center myself around God and God's desire? And then when we think about the spiritual discipline of service, it's yet another type of posturing, right? We yield to ourselves and to our needs, and we begin to posture ourselves and begin to pay attention to become more aware of the needs of others. So we begin to look off of ourselves. We all have lots of needs in our lives, but we don't want to forsake what God has called us to in service to one another, and in that way, when we, when we assume that posture, it moves sort of from individual to relational, right? It's less about myself, more about the people that are around me. And then when we talk about worship, we yield to ignoring God's presence and posture in our lives. But instead, we, we open ourselves to say, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to try to attempt to, to recognize that, that God is present right here. And how do I put God's presence in the middle of my life, at the center of my life, and throughout my life, right? So we, we move uh, from an idea where worship is no longer just a single event that happens for an hour on Sunday, but that it becomes the way that we live our lives, right? There's a difference. We grow in that capacity to say, hey, hopefully you all get to experience God's presence here as we worship together, but how do you begin to cultivate that through your Monday to Saturday, right? So we want that to to grow in your lives, how that can become a spiritual discipline. So when we talk about guidance this morning, guidance is sort of a much more broader posture, right? It's how we choose to follow God throughout our lives, not just in any one of these areas, but with almost every decision that we can make, we have the opportunity to follow God in those decisions, in those actions, right? And so the way that we posture ourselves in that way, are we willing to be guided? Are we willing to follow God individually, relationally, and even as we grow deeper in our relationship with God? And so as we begin to, to hopefully practice guidance, when we, what guidance is, 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 is seeking God's wisdom and direction for our lives, right? We talked about this trust this trust that we're supposed to have in God. Does God have my best interest at heart? And God, is God going to provide for me? Is God going to provide for my, my family or for the ones that I love? And how do we begin to trust that and trust that the way that God is pushing us, that it comes from a place of love and that God is guiding us so that not only that we feel loved, but that everyone in the whole world understands that God loves them too, Right? And so when God is guiding us, some of you might be able to attest to this, when God is guiding us, sometimes God guides us to some interesting circumstances or to some, some uncertain people or places, right? Sometimes at the, at the beginning of this journey, when we seek to be guided by God, it, it can look a little odd to us from the start. And so regardless of how unusual that may seem, the the the, the guiding principle for, for God in our lives is, is one that it helps us draw closer to God. Ultimately, if we want to be guided by God, we have to be close to God, right? We have to build that trust. And it's also about helping us guide other people back into the heart of God, into a relationship with God as a result of being guided by God in, in so many other things. Because really, the, the same in uh, the relationship that we enjoy with God, we want other people to enjoy as well. And so I'm going to preface some things as we begin to jump into a longer passage this morning. It's a long one, so brace yourselves. But before we dive into that passage, what I want to tell you is this. It is a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's, it's a short, simple story. And Jesus used parables all the time. He used these simple, short stories about life in order to teach either a spiritual lesson or a moral lesson, right? And in the passage that we're going to be reading from, it's actually sandwiched in between a lot of other parables, right? So Jesus is, is trying to, to teach the same lesson through different types of these stories, right? Through these different parables. And the reason why Jesus is, is teaching these stories in the first place is that he's responding to some Pharisees, to the religious leaders and experts of the day 
who are perplexed, right? They're a little confused, and they're beginning to be judgmental and disappointed even at the way Jesus is spending his time and who he's spending his time with, right? The kinds of people Jesus is surrounding himself with. And so as he's doing that, as he's trying to teach these parables, what Jesus is doing is he's helping teach us the, the why behind the what. The why behind the what. Why is Jesus doing what he is doing? And what we learn and what we see, if we read the whole chapter, which we're not going to do, we're going to, you guys can go ahead and have a seat up front, um, that we, uh, that Jesus, sorry, I lost my place. Jesus, uh, Pharisees are hung up on the what, rather than understanding why Jesus is doing what he's doing in the first place, right? So he's in conversation with some people around him. So we need to understand why he's responding to that, and we'll uncover that as we go together. But what the Pharisees are doing is that they are struggling with Jesus's radical guidance of the Heavenly Father, right? Jesus's posture to following the heart of God, regardless of what it might look like to other people, and so this is the lesson that the Pharisees are learning. And as we read, we'll begin to learn that lesson together as well. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to be in the, the Gospel of Luke. If we can clear the background, please. Um, and it is found in the New Testament. Uh, it's after the Gospel of Mark and before the Gospel of John. So if you brought your Bibles or if you want to engage in Scripture, please do so. You can follow along on your smartphones and certainly follow along with the screens together. But again, this is, this is a long story, and some of you are familiar with this story, but it, it, it helps teach this, this lesson about Jesus teaching the Pharisees less about the what and more about the why. Why is Jesus guided, motivated to do what Jesus is doing? And this is what it has to say. Verses, uh, Luke 15, verses 1 through 3, and then it jumps over to 11b, which just means the second uh, sentence of that verse through 32. This is what it says. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. These are the kind of people that Jesus was associating himself with. And so the Pharisees noticed. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, right? They're bitter. They're annoyed. They're saying, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them, right? And so Jesus, his response is to teach him this parable. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me a share of my inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together, and he took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living, right? He blew his inheritance. And when he had used up his resources— a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Things had gotten so desperate, he longed to eat from the fill, to eat his fill from what the pigs ate. But one gave him, but no one gave him anything. And so when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I will no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired servants. That's right. So this is the son plotting what he's going to do. And so he got up and he went to his father. And this is the interesting part. While he was still long ways off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him hugged him and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And this is what he didn't expect. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In fact, go fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house, and he began to hear music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the, the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious. And didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. You answered his father, look, I've served you all these years, and I've never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, but when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your real estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when we hear this story, right, it's, it's an amazing story just in and of itself. Right? We learn so much about who God is, the character of God. And we learn that no matter for any of us how far we stray in our thinking, how far we stray in our actions or even in our words, God is always waiting and welcoming us to be back in relationship, to rejoin Him and the family of God. God's joy comes in celebrating our return right? And welcoming, well, and us walking in, in freedom and forgiveness rather than any sense of, of harsh judgment, right? And so there's a lots of lessons to be learned, even in this one simple story that Jesus shares with the Pharisees. But I think there's one lesson that we can learn towards the end. There's a lot that's revealed at the end of this story, right? When the older brother, the, the oldest son, starts coming into the picture and kind of gives his thoughts on what's going on, right? And so the last couple of verses, it's, it's up here. Uh, but essentially what's happening here is we learn that there's a problem, right? We learn that the, 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 the youngest son has been given an inheritance, This is something that you don't do, right? Even by today's standards, right? Could you imagine walking up to your parents and saying, I know you're not dead yet. You got probably a long life ahead of you, but uh, whatever you had planned to give me, I want it now so that I can live into it now and enjoy it now, right? 
Well, this is even more serious because and that this is how the family dynamic worked, right? Everything was about the property that they owned and, and how that could stay within the family. And the older brother had a greater right to whatever the, the inheritance was going to be, right? So you can see why the brother is, is a little frustrated, right? Not just from what has already happened, but seemingly what's going on as the brother has returned, right? And it's interesting because the brother wasn't a part of the conversation that the youngest son and the father had together, right? And so there seems to be this issue of inheritance, but there's also another issue of obedience, right? The older son, he names it. He says, whoa, whoa, this is unfair, dad. This is, this is not cool, right? I've never disobeyed you, he says. And yet this, this younger son of yours, he, he insults you by asking for his in, inheritance before you die, and he insults, it, insults you further by the way that he chose to live his life, and yet you welcome him back and, and, and reward him for this behavior. That's not really what the father was doing, but this is probably the mindset that the older brother has. And the father's like, whoa, 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 slow down. Listen, you're so caught up in in what you've thought you're losing, right? That that you don't understand that everything I have is yours. You still have something to inherit it, and it's going to continue to grow, and you're going to inherit that too. He's already gotten his inheritance, and it's gone away. So instead of being worried about what you think you're going to possibly lose, let's celebrate what's truly been lost and has now been found. Let's celebrate that. Look at what we have gained as a family together. Right? That, that might be a, an easy lesson to, to say now, but maybe in that moment it was a much harder lesson for the older brother to learn, but also the younger brother. Because what we, what we learn in reading that passage, that, that the lesson to be learned here is redemption, right? The, the youngest son goes off and squanders everything, but he comes to this realization. He's guided back to the presence of his family, to the presence of his father. He recognizes what he has done is not okay. It's wrong. He says, you know what? I recognize when he's not even around his father, he comes to this lowest of low moments in his life, and he says, I realize that I have sinned against heaven I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against my father. I don't deserve to even be welcomed back into the family as a son, but I'll gladly take a place if you'll have me as a servant. And he's convinced of this, right? And and it tells him that he's on his way back home. He finds his way back home, and he didn't change his mind in that process. He says exactly what he planned to say to his father. He didn't change the the words. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, Father, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. I don't deserve to do this. In fact, if you'll just take, he had this plan already figured out of maybe how this this relationship could be reconciled some way, somehow. And and the father stops him and and against all expectations, he celebrates the fact that, that his son has returned in a posture of repentance understanding that what he had done was wrong, was wrong. He wasn't trying to take advantage of his father's goodwill. He simply asked to be 
back in relationship with him some way, somehow. And his father didn't just let him become a servant. He restored him. He redeemed him back as one of his sons. And that's, that's the conversation. That's the dynamic that the older brother misses out on because he thinks his brother's the same old brother. And so there's this, this lesson to be learned about what it means when, we, when God seeks after us, welcomes us back into God's family, and wants us to be guided into that place, right? There's a, there's a lesson to be learned here about redemption, how we can be guided back to God. But, but we also want to, to recognize the, the lesson of the reason that, that Jesus is telling this story in the first place, right? The Pharisees are annoyed <laughs> that Jesus is spending more time with sinners rather than with those that have been supposedly obedient to God, right? Maybe we can see some parallels here between the story that Jesus is telling, the characters in that story, and the people that are around Jesus, right? What, what the, the Pharisees didn't know, or at least they failed in, in, in realizing, they failed to remember, is that God's plan all along has been, a, has been to redeem all of God's people, not just the Jewish people, right? And that's what the, the Jewish people for a long, long time were, were praying for and expecting to, to have happen, Right? They wanted there to be a Savior, right? To come and, and redeem the people of Israel. But God's like, yes, I want that, but I want so much more too. And so you have these self-righteous Pharisees and religious leaders who are, are, are claiming to be the ones that have been faithful to God when they haven't always been. And, and they came from a, a, a place where they expected, right? There's entitlement here. And Jesus is trying to teach them that, that, yes, you are a part of this story, but you're not part of the whole story. That I want to, to save and redeem all people, right? God was supposed to use the Jewish people to be a part of God bringing the blessing and the redemption to the whole world. But they were so caught up in their own self-righteousness that they, that they were blinded to God's plan and to God's guidance, Right? To fulfill that plan, right? They were so concerned about themselves that they, they began to, to, to wear away, erode that priority that God has for all people. And so what they did is that they began to use the way of God to serve themselves, right? Rather than serving others, right? They were supposed to be, be the people that would bless people, that would serve people, that would begin to bring about this, this redemption to the world. And, and Jesus is the one that has to step in and he reminds them of this, but he also demonstrates it, right? He doesn't just talk about it. He, he lives it out and that's what's captivating everyone. Everyone's asking, where does he get this authority? Because he knows a whole lot and he, and he does it and he, and he gets it. 
He understands the heart of God and he's willing to live it out. He's, be, he's willing to follow, be guided by the heart of God, even when it puts him at risk, even when it puts him at danger, right? Jesus became the, the true obedient servant of God. And he was the, the epitome of blessing to all people. And he is what was the catalyst for redeeming all people back to God. And so this is why Jesus chooses to be guided to, to interact with the sinners rather when, than with the supposed righteous, right? He, he says, I want to, to, to minister to you, but I also need, there's a greater need to minister to the people that, that don't even know that they're a part of the family of God yet. That there's a place for them at the table, that there's a, a place for them to, to inherit what God has promised for all people to enjoy about life. And so what we have to understand, what we have to be reminded of is that we come from the same family. And again, the, the risk here is that we miss the opportunity to, to share with God that, that there are a lot of, of people, right? to share with people about God, that they know that they belong in God's family, right? We enjoy that as we come to, to be in relationship with God. There's a sense of feeling lost. There's, and there's a part of our role as followers of Jesus to graciously show them that they can be, in fact, a part of this family. Because if, if Tyler can be a part of God's family, well, certainly other people are more deserving to be a part of this family? How do, we, how do we do that? Can we resist the temptation to become so focused on ourselves that we, that we resist running the risk of missing this greater point, this greater plan that God has? So instead of getting fixated on the what or what the, or what, the what is supposed to look like, allow that not to blind us from the why. And having a posture of guidance is saying, God, I want to know why you're doing what you're doing so that whatever that looks like, I can live into that faithfully and obediently as I know how so that more people that don't know that they can be a part of this family can be a part of it. That they once would feel lost, that they could feel found, that, that we could celebrate alongside them their restored relationship with God. This is why Jesus does what he does and why we as his followers are challenged to do the same. So what I want you to, to think about in relationship to guidance is are, are, are what are the times and situation in which you do sense God's guidance, right? Maybe there are some, some, some areas in your life or there's some times in your life where you, you've noticed or experienced God's guidance, what, what was that like? And how can that be applied to other areas of your life? And what will it take to maintain that continued sense of God's guidance, right? How do we put ourselves in a posture where that does, doesn't become the exception, it becomes the rule? It's the way that we order our lives as followers of Jesus. Perhaps you want to reflect on your reluctance to be guided, right? I thought more about this throughout the week, about all, for a lot of us, myself included, right? We get impatient, right? 
we uh, want to take power into our own hands, right? We, we want things to go our way, right? I saw this picture one time where it was like, the picture on this side was saying, you know, me and God's plan, or me and my plan, it was like a direct arrow, right? From start to finish. And then the next picture was like, me and God's plan. It was like all these hills and valleys and it was broken and there's like a bridge and like it, it, it never seems to go the way that we think, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have our best interests at heart, right? And so maybe what are some of those things, those, those things that you need to give up in, in reluctance to being guided by God? And something else too is that sometimes we need to be guided in community, right? There is this individual aspect, but God uses the body of Christ, each one of you, to, to help encourage one another in this journey of faith. And so maybe you want to find a mentor, right? Maybe you want to start having coffee with people asking questions. Maybe you want to be a part of a community group, right? Small group, Sunday school class, where we can all figure this out together, right? And so regardless of how unusual it may seem, God's guidance always draws us closer to God, but it also leads us to help others know that, that God loves them and God wants to bring them closer to God's self. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and lead into this, this time together. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. God, I give you thanks for your love God, your, your word says that when we accept your son, Jesus Christ, as our, our Lord and, and Savior, that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us. And so, God, in this time where we seek to be guided, where we wrestle with your guidance over our, our own perspective, our, our own timeline, God, or even our own sense of power. God, we just want to spend time praying over each of those aspects and how we can give those things up to you. And God, use this time to posture ourselves to being guided that much more faithfully into your will, into your way. So we're just going to spend some time praying about patience, right? Let's just spend time praying about patience. God, we earnestly struggle in our lives. We believe that once we get over the, the next hurdle, God, that, that, that we'll be at peace. God, that, that all will be resolved. But God, it always seems that once we get over that, that next hurdle, there's always another hurdle that we, we strive to overcome. And God, we, we feed ourselves this, this perspective, God, where we never, we, we're never satisfied. We're never fulfilled. And so, God, we, we have to do something on the front end. We have to be able to, to change, God, where we posture ourselves, that we, we start with you rather than saying once we get all of this figured out in our lives, that then we'll, we'll, we'll have you be a part of our lives. Then we'll, we'll, we'll follow you more faithfully. Then we'll, God, the opportunity is now. 
God, give us the grace and the, and the patience to, to do that well. God, even in the midst of our struggles. God, we also want to pray for our perspective. God, we, we think we know it all. God, I confess that I think the same far too often. And it's, God, it's not that we're not smart or, or good planners or, or strategic. But God, that, that we give you room to say that as good of a plan that I have now, God, you have an even better plan. That this plan will be better with you being a part of it. And God, I give you authority to even change some aspects of those plans. Because I love you, God, and I trust you. And in that trust, God, I, I relinquish some of that power. I relinquish some of the say-so in my life. And I give you room to have some say-so in my life. God, when I, when I believe, God, the, the harsh words about myself, the criticism of, of, of myself, God, you create room and, and say, you're a beloved child of God. You are good. And you have been redeemed by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. God, how can we receive those things and let you speak those things into our lives, God, rather than the things of this world or, or the things of the enemy, God, that seek to steal our joy, steal our relationship with you. God, blind us, confuse us, cause us to wander away. But God, we give you thanks, God, because you're guiding us always and forever back into your heart. God, you celebrate the moment that we turn from whatever it is the way that we live and we choose you. God, whether it's for a season, whether it's day by day, God, you celebrate over us as we seek to be guided in your presence. God, may that be so in this time together, but in our weeks to come. God, we give you thanks. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.